Do you aspire to be a fire officer? Are you a veteran who wants to stay relevant? Or are you currently working in the emergency management industry? Join your host, John Alston, as he blazes through current industry trends, events, and tips for management and officer development. Learn from industry leaders and discover how to network with peers and emergency management leaders. Welcome to the Fire Officer Trust Podcast. And it's another opportunity for us to have the Fire Officer Trust podcast. The Fire Officer Trust podcast is for fire officers and those who aspire to be. My guest this time is Catherine Ridenauer of the Aurora, Colorado Fire Department. Retired now, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. Catherine, I am so excited to have you here and uh, be able to share the information that you've got. Uh, we've been talking about a bunch of different things this week, and I know that your passions run deep in the fire department, in the fire service. You're very active in iWomen, and you seek to empower and educate. And so I'm going to shut up and <laughs> let you. I'm going to just some basic baseline questions I always ask every guest is why did you want to be a firefighter? How did you come to be a firefighter? What motivated you to become an officer? and uh, what your passions are. So, uh, take it away. Okay, well thank you so much for having me. Um, my story of how I started is was way too long, but in a nutshell, I never wanted to be a firefighter. I'd never met a firefighter, and I'd never been to a fire station. But I had graduated from college, and I saw a little tiny ad in the newspaper, and it just struck a chord with me. So, uh, two weeks later at three o'clock, when applications were due at four, I went and sat at the at the city HR office and literally filled it out in pencil. <laughs> so uh, that's a whole other story. But but bottom line is is that I didn't know anything. If I was the greenest person that could have ever joined the service, but while I was in the academy and everything I learned, I just was so enthralled and loved it. And I even tried to walk away. I was like, no, you know what? I can do anything. I have my degree and all this. But every piece of information just um, made me so excited. And I knew that I was on my path. And I feel so blessed because my whole career, I knew I was on the path that I, was cho I chose and was chosen for me. So I had a great career, spent 25 years um, paid with, uh, uh, retired out as a battalion chief, Aurora, Colorado, and then after that, my husband, who's a retired Denver firefighter, he, he was a captain, we both joined our, our small uh, mountain town volunteer fire department in Pagosa Springs, and we just completed five years as volunteers, and, uh, but we resigned because we have a lot of traveling to do and weren't making our requirements, <laughs> but that was awesome. I loved being a volunteer also. Okay. Okay. So, it was a last-minute decision <laughs> on your on your part. Um, what was your degree in? Um, I wrote my own degree, and I had to defend it in front of a board. They did not change one thing, and it was based on becoming a studio potter. 
No way. So I wrote it to where I had all the fine arts and classes. Mm -hmm. I had uh, a, a classes in industrial arts, so woodworking and welding. Sure. And then I had basically what was like a small business uh, administration minor. And I put it together. And by about the third year, I realized I didn't want to have to make money doing my art. Oh. And um, that's when I... Uh, actually, what I was going into when uh, I saw the ad is I was becoming a, uh, I was going to become a professional bodyguard. Okay. <laughs> uh, so that's not even a 360. That's like no. a 540. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're passionate about art. You didn't want to get paid for. You didn't want to be a firefighter. And your goal ultimately was to become a bodyguard and I find that interesting <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get to that bodyguard thing that protection thing uh, because I know it plays a role in what your passions are now in protecting people so you get on the fire department and oh holy cow they really didn't know what to do with me I certainly didn't know what to do with them but I spent three almost three years with a what ended up being just a great department north of the Denver metro area mm -hmm. taught me some excellent habits and safety. And then... Um, what year was that, if you don't mind? Um, my first day on the job was January 1, 1986. Gotcha. And I didn't even have to go to work that day. I had to, be, I had to report the next day. <laughs> wow. And uh, then I joined Aurora in 89. And I, I was blessed. I really thought Aurora was the jewel of the fire service. It was an excellent department to be part of. Very proud to have um, served my time there. Okay. Were you there during the uh, mass shooting casualty, or did you? Were you off by then? No, I had retired by then, and quite frankly, John, as much as you know, my everybody's heart went out to them. That was such a you know momentous event, and really the first mass shooting that had come um, but I was actually I'm embarrassed to say but I was glad I wasn't on I understand. it 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 totally took its toll on that sure. department I sure. mean they did everything possible yeah. to I try to help there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah so so that uh, that that would have boy that would have been in quite the event to be at and I know I've talked to several of the people that were there, and there's a lot of inside stuff that would just blow your mind. Mm -hmm. can, can I give one example? Absolutely. Because I don't think people understand the stresses, but the, the bottom line is they only thought they had one victim that was shot. When the first on-scene battalion chief um, arrived, they had dumped 1,200 people out of the theater, and he was snaking through the crowd, and people were so scared that they were opening the doors of his SUV trying to get in. The second engine, the same thing. They're snaking their way through the crowds and people are opening the doors of the rig trying to jump in. And every time I think about that, it just gives me chills because there's nothing that could ever have prepared us for that. Sure, sure. So. Wow, wow, well, thank you for that. <laughs> That's something that we need in the fire service to pass along that we need to secure our vehicles and be mindful where we park them during those events because not only victims but we could have a perpetrator actually trying to get in and hide in a, in a fire in fire apparatus it's, absolutely it's something we never talked about absolutely what are your greatest challenges or your greatest challenges and what were your high marks <laughs> your, your the things that you look back and you say you know what my fingerprints on that well as far as challenges, uh, 
I, when I look back and I think of maybe some things that weren't too kosher going on or whatever, I, I have no bad feelings when I look towards the experiences that I went through. I think my challenges were as green as I was in the fire service. I had to study and think and ask more questions than anybody and be the one in class raising my hand and and um, it's, it's Catherine again yeah yeah yes but, Catherine but why what is now? that you know and yeah, so and uh, that didn't deter you oh no no you know everything's been a joy there's so much to learn in this business and I think that's that's probably if I could say the one thing that was always exciting and intrinsically um, satisfying for me is that every day when I went to work I learned something I made sure and that was I'm an eager learner I'm a I love to research I love all that so it was it it that was the the challenge that I had but it was a great challenge and then you know looking back I uh, was was blessed enough to join the at that time the women in the fire service back in I think my first conference was 94 in Rockford Illinois and I've taught it every single one since then and uh, during the uh, late 90s and then in the early 2000s was on the board and actually became president and and it was such a blessing it definitely took me away from from other things um, I'm sure Dr. O'Neill noticed that I wasn't an EFO because, you know, he's such a great cheerleader. Our, our, our pal. <laughs> yeah, our pal. Uh, and, I, you know, he's such a great cheerleader. But it was because I, because I wanted, it was more important to me to ensure that the women's organization was solidified. Mm -hmm. So, um, but what that allowed me to do is also, I knew I wanted to teach. I knew when I was in the Recruit Academy you know, someday I'm going to be a battalion chief. Excellent. And I always was involved with any kind of training. So the, um, uh, so kind of putting it, wrapping it all together is, you know, with, with women in the fire service and then I women, now everybody, this is a big announcement, the new name is Women in Fire. Yes, I know. <laughs> well, so I'm a member of the organization and I got surprised when I saw the new logo and I said, I wasn't at that meeting. <laughs> right. When did it change? They just unveiled it Monday morning here oh, at okay. the uh, at the <clears throat> Women in Fire slash FDIC yeah, uh, conference. So uh, now I kind of forgot what we were talking about. But oh, what that allowed me to do was to really have a national platform. Mm. And my platform was always this, is we treat everyone equitably in the fire service, um, regardless of who you were, what your background was, what you looked like, um, et cetera, because it wasn't just about the women, because I knew that if we will, if, if departments treat the women right, mm -hmm. everyone else is generally pretty happy. That has been my experience. And uh, I talk to women a lot, say, how are you doing in your department? Mm -hmm. If they're doing well and they like their chief and they, they like their position and, you know, it's a good department. And that's how I, judge departments because when the women aren't doing well I guarantee you there's a lot of other groups or individuals that are not doing That's well excellent. and not thriving on that department you're listening to a great conversation between myself and Catherine Ridenauer of the Aurora Colorado Fire Department retired and currently we were talking about 
how she can gauge the status of a department, which is excellent. I, I think even as a fire chief, I think that's going to be my measurement and how our department is doing and how the women are being treated and how they are flourishing in a fire department. That's an excellent gauge. So Catherine, so. You, you retired at what rank? Battalion chief. I spent my last seven years as a bat chief. All right. Tell me your greatest achievements. <laughs> this is you talking. I won't ask anybody Hi. else. Where are your fingerprints in that department and also in iWomen? Because I do know you've been very active. I have great friends. When I retired out of Jersey City, I have friends and women in the fire service that I've worked with all over the United States. And um, you, are, you are revered and you are respected for what you have brought to the table in terms of identifying issues, not just for women firefighters, like you said, when, when, when you address particular issues that involve women, it does shine a light on other issues that may be in a department, which is exciting. Boy, uh, my greatest accomplishment, that's a really tough question because I can say that um, I had a lot to do, I mean, with all, a lot to do with some of our diversity issues within the department, as well as um, recruiting, which is a very uh, big passion of mine. And also being, when I was president of Women in the Fire Service, being the voice for women. It was not easy, it wasn't comfortable, but one of my themes throughout my career and in classes that I teach now is use your voice. Use your voice. We all have that right. And when we don't, um, it's when everybody suffers. So uh, being that outspoken spokesperson, uh, when I left, uh, I was humbled by phone calls. I was getting saying, oh my gosh, we've lost our voice. And these were men as well as women. We've lost our voice because I was the one that could bring up certain issues. And believe me, Aurora was, I mean, I really had a very, I mean, I was blessed to work for that department, but not only for the fire department, but for the fire service. So, and hopefully being an instructor, which I love teaching and I teach, oh my gosh, I teach so much strategy, tactics, preparing for promotional, uh, command, uh, personnel problem solving, critical decision making, risk benefit analysis, I, and, and just being able to really get out into the fire service community and make an impact by helping people understand what's really going on, whether it be on the fire ground or in the firehouse. <laughs> so, Which do you find is, I won't say acceptable, but palatable for your audience? So is it easier to talk about strategies and tactics and all of the hard skills, the hardware, uh, versus the soft skills, uh, interpersonal skills, or um, issues that happen when we're not as busy as we are? Oh, you know, absolutely it would have to be easier to teach the fireground command strategy <laughs> and tactics. Um, I love teaching that. Everyone's excited. Everyone is uh, wanting to learn, understand their craft, and um, gain new tools. 
But the most important tools that I think we need are those, um, I always say, you know, the hottest fires I ever fought were not on the fire ground. <laughs> they were in the fire station. Amen. And uh, so how do we give tools for that? And I really think it is lacking across this nation, probably in most businesses, but I think in the fire service, we have totally ignored our responsibility when it comes to giving our officers and firefighters, but tools to use when it comes to the fire station. And um, I've really been an advocate for that, but as far as what's, what's more difficult is when I teach those classes on personnel problem solving and we bring up the real stuff that's going on, uh, when I do that, I have to be more on. I have to be able to look out and, and make sure I'm reaching every person. And what I always find interesting is, is these are two-day classes. It's a huge investment for a department to bring me in. And most of the time, of course, it's 100% men. <laughs> so here I am talking up there, but, but what I love is that the interaction and, you know, even I get the crustiest old guys who really, at the end of the class, are Wait a so... I'm a crusty old guy. No, you know what I mean. <laughs> crusty young guy, too. Uh, that you. are like, oh, we didn't really want to be here, but they loved the class because when you can give people tools and give them um, a variety of scenarios and put them in and say, well, what would you say? What would you do? And have a really open discussion and share share insights people do uh, change and they recognize it and I just call that class this is just another these are tools for your toolbox mm. you all have certain ways you'll deal with conflict or whatever but let's let's increase your ability because I always am encouraging people use your voice this is important each one of us so uh, those are that, that's kind of like my new newest passion over the past few years is embracing that um, helping people to make a difference in their own lives about how they're going back to the fire station or even at home because so much of this stuff works with kids um, <laughs> I think that's why it works great for us in the, in the fire service but uh, is to be able to have more confidence in their abilities because nobody sat us down and taught us how to be, you know, when you talk about soft skills, but how to be a good leader. And and sure. when we deal with our people, that's always the most important. <laughs> good, good. You're listening to the Fire Officer Trust Podcast. So as you've moved through this, I know that there are critical areas that you focused on. And uh, one you were, we were just talking about that we're not taught those um, indicators of problems, how to deal with the interpersonal issues, um, racism, sexism, age discrimination, crusty old guys, mm -hmm. I can't let that go. But uh, <laughs> I know that you've been laser focused on the bullying issue that we, we know it goes on in the fire service. Some will call it hazing. Some will, will call it tradition. Some will call it uh, any other name but what it is. But uh, can, you tell me, can you tell me how you got focused on that and, and what steps you're taking now to educate and, and, and invest in future firefighters and officers to address those issues? Yes, well, in my, um, my 
conflict solution type class, um, I always had a, a, a part on the bullying. And then uh, I was at uh, FRI maybe four years ago it's been, and they had just formed their, um, it's the IAFC Anti-Bullying Harassment and Workplace Violence Task Group. Wow. <laughs> I know, we have to have long names, right? And there's not even a good acronym out of that one, you know, so we call ourselves the anti, you know, bully group. And um, we've got some amazing heavy hitters on that. Uh, I, David Daniels, uh, Billy Goldfeder, uh, yeah, and, and, and lots of others. So, so they invited me to be part of this group and it's, we've been working diligently on trying to get some good training out to the fire service. So um, I'm going to put a plug in this because at the next FRI in Atlanta, um, they're doing a workshop for three days with the um, Dr. Namey who founded the Workplace Bullying Institute over 20 years ago. And Dr. Namey's doing a three-day train-the-trainer class. It's like 400 bucks. Anyway, um, there is a cost to it, but when you leave, you get all the materials from the Workplace Bullying Institute. And I think that's really going to help our group gel and disseminate information. In the meantime, I've been teaching very specifically anti-bullying classes, and I um, bullied my co-instructor <laughs> to, uh, to, uh, to teach with me. She's an attorney, a very gifted and, and caring attorney out of... Um, the Chicago area, Elisa Arnoff, who sits on our... I bullied her to be on the committee, too. You didn't bully her. You, coerced <laughs> her. you can't bully somebody to be on an anti-bullying committee. It's, a, it's it, incongruent. But it makes me laugh. So, <laughs> yeah, but that's how she introduces it. She goes, well, Catherine bullied me. To, All right. But she's All been right. a great voice for us. Um, so we, we have this class, and it's, it's so... I love teaching it. Uh, but it's called The Strategy and Tactics of Confronting Bullies. And so we've, we want it to be the eight-hour class because we know that the experiences that we can give them with the hands-on dealing with problems is great. But in the four hours, we definitely do lots of it. And so we review what is bullying so people are really clear of, of what is hazing versus bullying versus harassment versus workplace violence. And I, we made up this bully game. And so we put rapid scenarios and we ask them what is it is it okay or gray is it bully is it harassment is it workplace violence and then we discuss these these scenarios um and and i mean it's just very interesting because so many people are really unclear about the definitions and what we do know is that uh probably 99.9 percent of all fire departments do not have anything on the records about bullying and hazing. They'll have their general EEO uh, canned uh, guidelines on harassment, etc. Boilerplate that we download and copy from everyone else. Right, right. But we don't really focus on, on, on those issues. So we even have a part of the class that we talk about how to get a policy in place. What's something that's interesting going on right now is that there's a push to get a workplace, um, the healthy workplace, the healthy workplace bill um, on a federal level, which identifies the hazing and the bullying, because right now, unless it goes to the level of harassment, as as atrocious as it might be, there's no real recourse 
And not that I think we need more laws and all that, but I think it will be an attention grabber and um, allow all of us to have maybe a little more more uh, stuff to hang our hat on, so sure. to speak. Sure. If we had to create an avatar, this this picture, this image, this being, if you will, tell me the traits or characteristics of a bully. Because I, I really think um, with your training and the work that you've been doing for years, I think you can kind of give us an idea, not, not anything else, but what are the traits and characteristics of a bully? Well, um, that is interesting because what the studies show is that bullies generally um, have a poor family background they are um, they generally have very big self-esteem issues they are the reason why they project um, their bulliness on others is what they have found is that they're generally pretty weak and incompetent people and it's to hide their inadequacy and once I really saw this enough in the research and, and, and thought about it, it just makes me feel so sorry for them. Because these are obviously people that don't have the confidence um, or a really good internal relationship with sure. themselves. Sure. They don't, I mean, to me, they must not like themselves they much. They see themselves. Right. Oh, they got you, got you. <clears throat> and so um, <clears throat> when you apply that to the fire service, because in general we think of bullies as being the big... You know, somebody that's bigger, which is which definitely can um, be, be be part of it. But the the one thing that I know about bullyism, it's it's just not a one-time event. If someone yells at you for whatever reason, that's not bullying. You know, if somebody can have that bad day. I never want to give people a pass. It's no, still right. disrespectful. Right. But bullying is a repeated action and mm. a repeated behavior. That's gotcha. part of the definition of it with an intent to cause harm and um, a, a repeated actions, and it can't even a, go into physical um, abuse and violence. So when you look at the profile of a bully, uh, they already have a lot of stuff to deal with. And so um, when you look at profiles of targets, who's the target of the bully? Yes. What's interesting is that they can be very well liked in the organization. They're generally quite competent um they and and that can be one part of it or another part they can be quieter people uh, they can be seen as weaker whether physically or 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 mentally um, it 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 can be um, obviously because in our business with the high amounts of numbers of male firefighters and when you look at it, it, it can be because we are a minority in numbers, whether it's women, racial, um, uh, gender orientation, etc. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that we all know that sure, would, would sure. come into this. Um, but what I find interesting is that uh, targets generally are, they can be pretty good people. And what we all know is when we see someone that has been a victim of repeated bullying, it, they lose their confidence. They lose their ability to really engage in the in the in the um, organization. And I think if you look at the the whole, 
I mean, not only how does bullying affect the individual um, mentally, physically, spiritually, in all of those ways, but when you look at an organization, it is lost work days. It is loss of morale and teamwork. Well, does that really is that really something we measure? Well, how that does play out is it can play out to your bottom line. If you're losing people um, because you don't have a high retention rate, and it doesn't matter if they're, if they're uh, women, black, white, we know we have people that leave the department. Um, and I think the younger generation is going to have an easier time leaving the department than we did if sure. they're not being treated right. Sure. Sure. And um, sick days, the, men, you know, the mental health issues, and this is the bottom line, and this is, I think, what it really comes down to. We are service-oriented. We are providing the best customer service to our citizens. But if we have problems in the firehouse, we will never make that mission, that we will never be able to accomplish that mission. Mm. And I'll just say it. I think if the general public knew some of this crap that was going on in the firehouse, I just don't think we'd be the highest rated public service <laughs> when we do our surveys, right? The guild is off the, the, the lily, right? Yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, so my theme or whatever is everyone needs that safe and comfortable work environment. Everyone deserves that. Sure. You know, a lot of times maybe you don't respect, have that respect for people, or you don't have that initial, I really like them, let's be pals and buddies. That's okay. But everybody walks into the firehouse and should be set up for a chance for success mm -hmm. because that's the only way we're going to fulfill our mission mm -hmm. and that is the bottom line isn't it that is the bottom line i love when you say that everyone should be set up for success because we see so many times people are set up for failure if we change that paradigm and uh something else that you mentioned in terms of lost work days or detachment how safe are we on the fire ground when we have colleagues that we work with that we may not trust who may be bullying other people? They could be the officer, they could be a member of the team. Is that team cohesive? They're not cohesive if there are those issues that are underlying. So that's excellent. <clears throat> the other thing I heard you say is that when we, there are, there are characteristics of those folks who are bullied that not that they're a magnet or an attraction for it, but there are characteristics of those persons who are bullied. So that's something that we need to look at in, in, in the days coming uh, for us in the fire service. If you had to leave something with the fire service, because you're retired now, but you are still active. I see you everywhere. I see you at every <laughs> conference. I see your classes online. Uh, you know, you're speaking here, you're teaching there. The lasting message that you want to leave in the firehouse, like we used to use the old Pass It On book, and Billy Goldfeder did a great job with the two books that he has out there. Right. What message would you leave for new firefighters or those who remain in the service? I would say, don't be scared. I know I shouldn't even, I don't want to coach that negatively. I want to say this use your voice stand up when you are see seeing something wrong and even just a little hey knock it off 
can make a world of difference to somebody's entire career. New firefighters, like we all did, we came in, we weren't, ex we expected to be part of the team, we expected to be part of the organization. And when those of us, uh, some of us that weren't, where were the other people standing up for us for either poor treatment, bullyism, I mean, <coughs> heaven forbid, the, the true harassment and everything. Because along with that, I would say, is our communication skills uh, stink in this business, right? And if we don't practice, <laughs> yeah, you know, we need to practice. But I'll tell you, just sucking it up sometimes and being the one to stand up is not easy, but it gets easier over time. And along with that, I would say we all have um, expectations when we join, but how many times has your officers given you their expectations? And they may be this, the ones we would all think about how to come to work and, and how to perform on scene. But I think what we really need to be saying is that anybody that walks in this station is going to be treated well. And if you can't do that, I don't want you in my station. We're going to have a little discussion about that. And why is that so hard? Why is that so hard from the chief of the department on down? Why aren't we saying our workplace environment is important, it's critical, it is, and I, as a fire chief or as an officer, I demand that that in the firehouse we are treating each other well. There is a bottom line. There is a line in the sand. Mm -hmm. Don't cross the line, and hold them accountable if they do. But what I have found is, when I can, uh, when I have found issues or problems, just sitting down and talking to people, holy cow, what a concept! It works. So using your voice is very important. You, you said something though, using your voice and as the chief of department, I'm the chief of department, down, we have these mission statements, we have these uh, vision statements that say everyone will be treated fairly. What checks and balances do we have to ensure that that's going on? Because it's real easy to say it uh, when you're sitting in your office and you write these messages and you, you, know, you open up, you go to the academy and you welcome people and you say this is going to happen. But does that translate not just to the, the lower levels of your organization, the other levels of your organization? How do we ensure that? Boy. What steps can we take? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. being serious on this because uh, the next step I'm going to do with my department is an anonymous survey because I think those work um, and in terms of you know workplace expectations but to be able to take the pulse and, and, and understand where my organization is because I think that's that's what we need to do but other than that you said use your voice but if I'm in an environment where the team respects the bully right and right. the bully has the uh, the wherewithal to just you know make my day horrible no one in that crew is going to speak up and as the new person i'm going to feel um, you know ostracized if i do speak up or I may become ostracized if i do i'm a chief of department tell me something if we can and it may not be able to be answered here but what are some of the steps that i can do well i think first and foremost is we have to have the policies that are clearly written and clearly identifying the, what is acceptable and what is not. 
it's 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 a very uh, you know it's it's hard. To, I mean, we know we need those policies, but the reality is, the policy is just a minor thing when it comes into the workplace environment. And so, ha- have we gone out of our way to really treat our or train our officers with these soft skills, with the problem solving? When, it deal, when dealing with personnel issues and giving them tools to combat that and to make a difference. But what I see most of all is the accountability issue. And oh my gosh, isn't that the scariest word in the fire service? <laughs> well, we preach it all the time. Yeah, but accountability tags and right. you know, no one goes anywhere by themselves. And, Right, because but and we're not encouraging our young people to speak up. But it's not just the young people; it's the old people that maybe have, they are used to it. So mm-hmm. they're they they walk into work and they know this is going to be another day of survival, not thriving. I think it's a I think it's a really it's a multi pronged approach. But how many battalion chiefs know what's going on in their stations? It is difficult as in that, but as chief of the department, you know the iceberg principle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are only aware of about 4% of that what's really going on. And the guys and gals at the bottom of the iceberg, they know the stuff. Now, it gets inverted the other way when the rank and file have no clue what the fire chief and the department is facing as issues. But when it comes to that, and, and how do you, I mean, we, I, I think that solid communication, dem- I don't want to say demanding, but having set very clear expectations that we are going to be a certain type of organization. And we may need to make examples of some people, huh, John? As you well know, that's a powerful, that's one of the most powerful training tools, which is the last end. That is the last resort when we fire someone or you know, the policy's named the, you know, Catherine Wright oh, yeah, policy, yeah, yeah. It right? Actually, it takes on a name, <laughs> name and a life of its own. But how do we get or to... you're going to get the Catherine, <laughs> Catherine Wright Hour deal, you know? Oh, Did right. you get that deal? <laughs> yeah, sure. Right. So, it, I mean, it's a great question. I think it's, it's going to take time and it's a slow movement. But I really think we have to hold our officers accountable for that environment. When people walk in, they need to thrive. I don't want people coming to work and just surviving because I have known so many people that truly are surviving this phenomenal career because they're not given it they're not they're not given that opportunity to come in and be set up for success and just be treated well how difficult is that <laughs> it's not it's not difficult when we when we look at it and we isolate it it's not difficult but you and I know very well that this nonsense is still going on and it's ingrained in certain organizations and it's gonna it, I always say it's gonna be like the children of Israel some people are gonna have to march around for 40 years and then go away until they reach the <laughs> promised land because uh, it's it, it, it's prevalent in, in our industry it really is well you know one last thing is that in this business we reward bad behavior hmm. we do and <laughs> give me an example <laughs> No names. The names it have would been be changed me. to protect the guilt. It would be me. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, we do because we kind of get rah-rah maybe about the, uh, the people who are, um, uh, you know, tough it out. You got to do this, uh, even though yeah, maybe yeah, we're, yeah. you know, we're promoting injuries or something like, let's just say, on the training ground or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And so we, we do a great job at rewarding bad behavior. Why can't we do a 
great job of identifying bad or poor behavior mm. and how do we fix it True. because I don't care what you think right mm. but your behavior I can control at work oh yeah right oh, yeah. as yeah. an officer as a, as a chief that's correct yeah so it's it, it it is about affecting attitudinal change which is mm. woo, the big <laughs> elephant in the room but the reality is is if we hold our behavior accountable we're gonna have it made good luck to us all <laughs> You're listening to the Fire Officer Trust Podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, every class, John, whoever my point of li- liaison is, I say, please, please get your command staff in here. Get, you know, if the chief of the department, and uh, twice I've had chief of department sit in, the whole class. And um, one of them is here. I got it. He's uh, out at Fairchild Air Force Base, chemo, and he's fabulous. Um, but this is the thing. Every time I teach this class, the rank and file, the, the officers, they're like, I mean, I get glowing, beyond glowing. People are like, I just, I didn't want to come. I thought this was, I'm so glad I came. Thank you. And they always say this, but the people who need it the most aren't here. Mm. And it's the bosses. Of course. It's the bosses. Of course. Because we, how do, why are we so good at promoting bullies? <laughs> we do. Yeah. You know? Like, so you, you, so that, now that takes me to another level. Do we need to add more interpersonal elements to our testing so that we <laughs> weed out? I'm, I'm really big on test development. Do we need to do that so that we get indicators? or weed out those persons who have those traits because they are measurable. They're, it's a measurable trait. Absolutely. I, in fact, I used to teach with, a, I don't know if you ever met Dr. Chris Hornick of CWH. Of course, yes. Okay, yes, yes. so Chris and I, um, we actually were putting on a class about the criticality of having those soft skills measured in into your testing processes. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I have... I have I actually uh, pitched this with Elisa Arnoff, my attorney friend. I said, we need to come here and do a class called Hire the Best, Fire the Rest. I love it. And, and those tips for hiring those kind of people that we want in our organization with those type of traits that we know are going to make them successful. And then also, I think as importantly, be able to have firing strategies and get them out. Because we don't, what you said, we have these 20, 30 year problems that had we, if we had identified some of their personality traits prior to us hiring them, we would be so much more successful as organizations. And I am a big proponent of firing people when they misbehave. What a concept. We do it for everything else. Thanks for listening. Like what you heard today? Subscribe to the podcast and blog. Hashtag Fire Officer Trust. For show notes, updates, tips, and more resources, visit www.fireofficertrust.org. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter so you never miss a show. The Fire Officer Trust, a place for fire officers and those who aspire to be.